Welcome and thank you for connecting with us at Parkwood Baptist Church. Here at Parkwood, we exist to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. You can find more information about our church at parkwoodonline.org. By visiting our website, you will be able to learn more about Parkwood and our mission. Now join us as we grow together through the teaching of God's Word. It is extremely encouraging to look out and to see you opening your Bibles. We're in Luke chapter 4, verse 31 to 44. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one under your chair. It's probably easier to reach into the chair in front of you and grab one out from under on page 860 in the chair Bible. Luke 4, let's stand as we acknowledge this part of our worship that this is the Word of God. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent. And come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other, the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Lord, help us now to understand this text, to understand further who you are, and to understand the implications of our lives and to embrace it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if I were to ask you this morning, what is your purpose on earth? Why are you here? Or if you just took a random sampling and picked five people today and said, what is your purpose? Why are you, why are you here? Why are you, on, why are you on earth? Here's what I find most people answer. I don't know. I wish I knew. Jesus knew his purpose, brothers and sisters. His actions and his message were defined by his purpose. You listen very carefully to me because I'm talking to every one of you in this room. Your actions and your message make clear what your purpose is. Every one of us Every last one of us have a purpose. We may not acknowledge it. We may not be able to verbalize it, but we've got one. And here's how you know what it is. Your actions and your message make clear what your purpose is. 
Now, Jesus, fulfilling his purpose, preaches, casts out demons, and heals with authority. And let me just add, in this text, this is the main idea of this text. Jesus does much more than this. But what Luke wants you to see here is that he does these things in fulfilling his purpose. Now let's go back to verse 18 of Luke 4. Jesus in the synagogue at Nazareth picks this text and reads from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says in verse 21, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now what Jesus here is identifying that he is the one who is anointed and sent by the Lord to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty to captives, recovering sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now what happens immediately is Jesus does these things. And that's what Luke wants you to see. He wants you to see the fulfillment immediately happening of the prophecy being fulfilled that Jesus is the one whom the Spirit of the Lord is upon. So we're going to see several things here. First, fulfilling his purpose, Jesus teaches with authority. He went down to Capernaum, literally. So the drop of about 1,400 feet down, you're actually at six to 700 feet below sea level when you get to the Sea of Galilee at Capernaum. He was teaching them on the Sabbath. Now keep Sabbath in your mind, the holy day set aside for worship. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. So remember, Jesus went to Nazareth. He teaches on the Sabbath in the synagogue. And initially, the reaction is exactly the same as these people. They were astonished. Now, Nazareth, you get the implication they're astonished because he's a hometown boy. But here, it becomes clear why people are astonished. They were astonished at his teaching for his word-possessed authority. So what does that mean, his word-possessed authority? Does that mean that's how Jesus preached or taught, that he was loud or forceful or dramatic or demonstrative? It's a very simple definition. In short, Jesus speaks from God. That's why it's authoritative. He is speaking from God. Now, this is in stark contrast to the religious leaders of the day. Mark, when he records this text, or this account in Mark 1, 21 and 22. This is almost identically the same thing. They went into Capernaum. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who had authority. And then he adds this, not as the scribes. So Jesus presents in his teaching matters of great significance, matters of life, of death, of eternity. But the scribes focused on trivial things. How far you could walk on the Sabbath. How much you could carry. Who you could touch and who you couldn't touch. Jesus dealt with these deeper matters of the things of God. Jesus spoke truth. He spoke the truth of God. And the truth of God is what is the source of his authority spoken by the power of the Spirit. 
In the power of the Spirit, when you speak the Word of God, you speak with authority. That's still true of his followers today. That by the Spirit of God, when we proclaim the Word of God, we do so with authority. Now, before I move off of this section in the next one, I want you to notice something. Luke begins here by telling you Jesus went to the synagogue and was teaching. Now look at what happens in verse 44. And he was teaching in the synagogues of Judea. These are the bookends. That's significant. I want you to recognize this is, this is the, the core issue of what's going on is this proclamation of the word of God with authority. But Jesus does other things. So fulfilling his purpose, Jesus cast out a demon with authority in the synagogue. And you, you folks got to get this. The service is going on. They're in the synagogue. So just imagine this taking place right now. And a man had an unclean demon, and it cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I could just say that, have your attention. Jesus immediately responds, be silent and come out of him. And the event's not over. Luke says the demon threw him down and came out. And then the doctor wants to make sure you get this, having done no harm to him. So the man is not hurt by this. Now, I just want to slow down here like I did when we got to the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the devil. The reality of the devil, there's also the reality of demons. The Bible is very clear about this. Ephesians chapter 6 is the clearest explanation of what is going on in the spiritual realm, what you can't see, taste, and touch. This demonic activity. I was reading this week in preparation. I read this sentence. This was written in 2012. I find it very ironic. Most people in Western culture today fear viruses more than they do demons. We're not even thinking about it. We have a rational, scientific explanation of everything. This, this is one of the places that trips people up when they read the Bible, when they come to these kind of instances. You know, and a really smart professor will say, well, you know, it's just Jesus is dealing with sickness here, and it's the way these ancient people described it. No, Jesus is dealing with a demon because this demon talks. And he says, we know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. James 2.19 tells you this. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The emphasis here on casting out this demon is not on Jesus doing the act of casting out the demon. It is on the authority that Jesus has to command the unclean spirit to come out. Verse 36, Luke must make sure you get it. They were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. There's no contest going on here. There's not a power authority struggle going on between Jesus and the demon. Even though some people would say the demon's trying it because he calls him the Holy One of God. He's trying to get the upper hand by calling him out 
I don't know if, exactly what that means. All I know is this. Jesus is not just simply using words. Jesus is not using an incantation here. Like, like people think they, all they got to do is tie on the, the, the phrase, in Jesus' name, they can say anything and it'll make it happen. You better be careful you're not doing an incantation when you say that. It's not what Jesus did. Jesus spoke from authority. You know why? He's the son of God. This is a divine enactment. He says to the demon to come out, and it comes out. Jesus is on in a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Matthew chapter 8 records this. And he calms the winds and the waves. And it says, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this? that even the winds and the sea obey him. I'm going to tell you what sort of man he is. He's the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's unique. There's no one like him. He's the only one who can speak. Come out, out. He's the only one who can say to the wind and the waves, stop, and they stop. And this has massive impact. Verse 37 says the report went into all the surrounding regions. Telling this story. Here's what's interesting. You read that, you think, well, story's over. This account's over. No, it's not. Because Luke brings you right back to the Sabbath day. Same day. And you see, fulfilling his purpose, Jesus heals with authority. When he arose, he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, this is about as far as from where I'm standing to the fellowship hall. There's actually any famous place that they know where it was. In in Israel, there's a church there now. So there's a church where Simon's house was, and the ruins of the synagogue are just a few feet away. Now, that's significant, because what day is it? So you can't walk far. They go over to Simon's house, and his mother-in-law has a high fever. Now, Dr. Luke, let's make sure you know that. This is a dangerous fever. There are no Tylenol. There's no antibiotics. This is a serious, life-threatening situation for this woman. And it says that they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever. Now, some people want to interpret this as some kind of demonic thing because he uses the word rebuked the fever. There's no evidence whatsoever this is demonic. None. And it's sandwiched between discussions of demonic. If Luke meant this to be demonic, he'd have been clear. She's sick. And sickness is the result of the fall. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So he rebukes it. And it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now I had the fever for eight days with the coronavirus. That was a blessing. And it broke. Man, I can remember the moment it broke. I started sweating. Praise God it broke. But I'm going to tell you this. I didn't jump up and cook dinner for the family that night. I was wore out for three more days after that. This is an immediate and complete healing. This woman is restored. Now, don't miss the transition. Watch this. Now, when the sun was setting, now this ought to alert you that now people can move. And not only can they move, they can carry something. So keep that in your head. And all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. You get it? They're carrying these people. 
And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. What a beautiful image you have here. One by one. Luke's making sure it's emphatic here in the text. One by one, Jesus individually lays his hands on each one of them and he heals them. It's personal and it's complete. Now, prior to this, I didn't see this in the Bible. Somebody else helped me see this. That laying on of hands is not practiced in the Old Testament for healing. It's only a form of blessing. You lay hands to bless. Now, certainly this was a blessing to people, but Jesus is ushering in something unique and new here, that he lays his hands on them and heals them. This further gives you evidence of who Jesus is. Matthew 9, 36. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. For they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is moved with compassion and individually he touches them. Now something else happens. Not only is he dealing with these sick people who need healing, it says, and demons also came out of many crying. You are the son of God. Now this is a confession of truth, but it is not a confession of faith. There's a quote You can know and say true things about Jesus, yet have no saving interest in him. You may go on for all of your life saying, I know that Jesus is the son of God, but sink into hell with those words on your lips. Remember, even the demons in hell believe and they shudder. They came out saying, you surely you are, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now part of the implication is Jesus rebukes not just demons, but people and tells them not to say or to tell who he is, is because Jesus does not want this false sense of Christ or Messiah out there that people are looking for this political savior. He doesn't want things to turn in a different direction than where God is leading them. So he stops people from saying things. That's part of it, but there's more going on here. Why is Jesus particularly rebuking these demons? I found this quote very helpful. Jesus silences the demons because in God's kingdom, Revelation is dependent on relationship. As a being hostile to God, the demons cannot reveal who God's son is. That's Jesus' responsibility, and that is our responsibility as the people of God. So this revelation comes through word. So we see last that fulfilling his purpose, Jesus preaches with authority. And when it was day, we've got the next day now, he departed and went to a de- into a desolate place. Now Mark tells you in Mark 135 that he went there to pray. And we know this is the normal practice of Jesus to withdraw and seek the Father in prayer because Luke's going to tell you that in just a few verses. If you look down chapter 5, verse 16, he says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So the people sought him and came to him. So they interrupt this. And they would have kept him from leaving them. So here's what they want. They want Jesus to stay in Capernaum and to continue to do what he's doing. They want exclusive rights to Jesus. (laughs) Now you go from one town, his hometown, who wants to kill him. Nazareth, that's just the previous 
account. Now you come to Capernaum and they want to confine him. They want to keep him. They both want to control him. And brothers and sisters, don't you think for a moment that there's not this mindset out there that we want to control Jesus, that we're looking for ways to manipulate the Bible and use prayer and other things to get Jesus to do exactly what we want him to do. He will have no of it, none of it. And he would have none of it at this moment. He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other, the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So the question is, what is this purpose? I was sent for this purpose. It is that I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I got to go to the other people and make this message known. So Jesus' message concerns God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, a phrase that appears 31 times in the gospel of Luke. When something appears that many times, it means we better start paying attention. So let me just try to define it a little bit for you and help you understand what's happening when it says the good news of the kingdom. Luke 8.1 says that. Afterward, he went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing. So he's doing two things. He's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. So the king, the good news of the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. That's a simple definition. Just encourage you to maybe mark that in the margin of your Bible. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. Now, I'm going to try to theologically explain something very simply to you so that it helps clear your head up a little bit. Theologians call it the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. So the kingdom of God has been inaugurated. It's been started. But it is not yet finished. It's not yet consummated. So the kingdom is present now, but all of its promises have yet to be fulfilled. So this is how people get confused. And then maybe you say, well, I'm already thoroughly confused. I have no idea what you're talking about this already and not yet. What I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, you're not waiting for the kingdom in its entirety. The kingdom of God is here. But the kingdom of God is coming. There's still a not yet. So let me read. In the already period comes the demonstration of Jesus' authority over evil, his ability to deal with sin on the cross and through the power of the resurrection, and in his reign. Where is Jesus right now? He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He rules and reigns. But in the not yet, what is coming when Jesus breaks the sky and returns is a demonstration of his full and complete authority on earth and the fulfillment of all of his promises to his people. So the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God. It is present now. Therefore, 
It should be our desire, our longing to make it more widely known. We should pray to this end. We should work to this end. So here's my question. Am I looking to Jesus to fulfill my purpose or his purpose? Just think about what you pray for. In fact, in fact, I have found that many Christians never pray until they want something. Now, when that, when, if that's what motivates your prayer, then you're the first end of my question. You're just looking to Jesus to fulfill your purpose. He'll have none of it, by the way. It's not how he functions. Are you looking to Jesus for my purpose or to fulfill his purpose? Now, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy. And you're going to say, what does this text have to do with what you're talking about? Second Timothy chapter one. Now, Paul's just told Timothy not to be scared. Hey, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Quit living in fear. Here's what's going to raise you above the fear when you understand your purpose. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own, what? Purpose and grace. So God has saved you for his purpose and by his grace. Nothing you did. You can't earn or deserve it which he gave us in Christ Jesus through the work of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection before the ages began. This was God's plan all along, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought to life and immortality to light through the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and raised on the third day according to the scripture. That is the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now listen clearly to me. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you have trusted in Christ alone for your salvation through what he accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection, if you are in Christ, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God has come to bear in your life. Let me say it another way. If the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God has not come to bear in your life, you're not a Christian. I don't care what you call yourself. What do we make? What is the confession we make in these waters? It's going to happen in just a few minutes. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Only Americans want him as a Savior. Because Americans want to do what they want to do. They don't want to go to hell. But they don't want a Lord. Don't tread on me. That won't work in the kingdom. 
He's the Lord. And if the kingdom of God has come to bear in your life, if he has saved you, he has called you to a holy calling and put a purpose on your life. His purpose is now your purpose. To make the kingdom of God known. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling. And what he has started in your life, he's going to finish it. For I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You know what's been entrusted to me? The kingdom of God. That's no light thing. So just as making the kingdom of God known was true in the life and through the lips of Jesus. It's what he said and what he did. So it is through our life and through our lips. The daily prayer of every follower of Jesus should be what he taught you to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus entered every city with a purpose. He withdrew to pray with a purpose. Then he arose and entered the next city or the next place with the same purpose. Your kingdom come. That's why you're here. That's why he saved you. You say, is it really that simple? Yes. It is that simple with a myriad of implications on our lives. That implicates your marriage, your job, your family, where you live, what you do, how you play, who you have relationships with. And hear me. Some of you are functional Capernians. Let's just get together with Jesus and have church. And Jesus says, "Mm -mm, I'm going to where they don't know about me. I'm going to those dirty people down the road. See you in the synagogue. Jesus moved among real people and he touched them. And he healed them. And he proclaimed the good news to them. And it got to you. The kingdom of God is here. And this weight is now on us. But it's a good weight to make the kingdom known. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We're not just reading a bunch of stories about what Jesus did. We're seeing why he did it. And who he is. And what that means for us. So Lord Jesus, impact the lives of your people today. Cause them to see why they're here. And Lord, for those who are hopeless or helpless or say that's not for me, God could never save me. Lord, may they see today that if you can cast a demon out of a man, you can save a man. 
If you can heal, you can heal forever. Help us to see you lay down your life for the sake of this king. And may we acknowledge today that you are the king. We offer this prayer in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.